0: Steps forward with the right foot and scores. A dagger to Nashville SC's heart deep in the heart of Texas. After exceeding expectations in their first two matches, the boys in gold came back down to earth Saturday night on the slippery Texas turf. Thanks to iHeartRadio for that clip from Nashville SC's 2-0 loss to FC Dallas. This is Club and Country, the podcast of record for anyone who wants Nashville SC coverage from the two people who have covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Nashville SC Radio Voice Wes Bowling. And I am Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. Thank you for listening. Club and Country, sponsored by ML Rose. Two late FC Dallas goals gave them their first win this season, and it came at Nashville's expense, Nashville's first loss this year, a match, Tim,
1: that the boys in gold just never really looked likely to win. They definitely didn't look very likely to win it, but for a long stretch of the game, they didn't also look like they were likely to lose it. Uh, The fact that by the end, it it was a multi-goal defeat tells you that uh, somewhere around the 82nd minute, things went sideways for Nashville SC. And that doesn't provide great feelings because when you feel like you are doing enough to earn the draw and then you lose by two goals, uh, survey says it is not good. You heard it. Here first, guys. Tim just used the word. (laughs) No, wait. Tim just used the word feelings
0: twice in the same sentence. Feeling. Are you developing a heart? Uh, Yeah, I'm melting my robotic heart. Uh, (laughs) toss that feelings ball my way sir (laughs) we'll we'll talk all about the loss on tonight's show and then we'll get you ready for what may be the toughest road test yet for this team hard to imagine us saying that after they've been to seattle they've been to minnesota but they're going up against a team now with an attitude playing at altitude Real salt lake but first club and country is sponsored by ml rose tim if i know one thing it is that craft beer and juicy burgers help even the ugliest defeats taste just a little bit better
1: Yeah. I've I've traditionally found one to seven craft beers to be a very good sports sadness solution Uh, and ML Rose uh, can definitely provide those along with the food. Um, and along with the sports, you can you can sit there and get sad as you're as you're eating and drinking right there in MLS.
0: I have found that after the seventh craft beer,
1: the sports sadness is amplified the next day. It becomes for, an insult for me after it. the seventh craft beer. It's the making friends around the bar. That's the, <laughs> the it, it, you know, it, you can just pivot from sports sadness to uh, to happy, you know, making interpersonal connections. Friends in Low Places, as Garth Brooks sang. (laughs) Uh, ML Rose really does represent everything that we try to represent
0: on this show. Enjoyment. We usually enjoy talking to each other, and you sometimes enjoy listening to us. Uh, Quality, which we try to bring, and and certainly ML Rose does. And an environment for friendly sports banter that, of course, describes us. It also describes the restaurant that is right down the street from the new Nashville SE Stadium. Tim, I I participated in an experiment this past week. I visited Geodas Park, more on the name in a bit, and uh, on the way out, I drove... The direction of ML Rose, because I had said on the show that it was about a five minute drive away from Geodes Park. Yeah, I vastly overestimated that. You corrected me at the time, and I've confirmed uh, <laughs> yeah. feelings ball well out of the way. It's more like maybe two and a half or three minutes of a drive and not a long
1: walk either. Yeah, from, yeah. From, from I, I told you before that that I w- I've walked it on a couple occasions, and it is it's like a five minute walk. It is definitely not a five minute drive. It's, although Nashville traffic, you know, classic, that classic situation. Yeah, it's true. Uh it is a,
0: a perfect amount of a walk to eat you just hungry enough to inhale some loaded waffle fries. I'm gonna keep talking about those. They are they are delicious. The hardest decision I have the other night I went and I was like, I, I love the burgers. I know I have my, my go-to burger, the animal burger I talked about last week. But I really want wings and fries. And I don't know that I can fit all three in, in so I just did wings and fries, two appetizers. I was good to go. It was great. Great burgers, ambiance, convenience to the new stadium. And, Tim, watch parties for every NSC road match. We've been holding those. Just a great place to get together and watch Nashville SC. Yeah, come hang
1: out uh, each away game for this this interminable stretch of away games at the beginning of the year. It's the perfect time to get to know ML Rose very well uh, with 440 Sports, uh, with the heaters, with the Eastern Front, and the two Nashville SC supporters groups who have been out there for the first few weeks, and um, it's a great time.
0: You can get Carolina Gold Sauce on your wings. We have gold nuggets for you today. And Segway. we'll talk about a team
1: from North Carolina.
0: Segway score. I Later. think we give ourselves what a 9 out of 10 on that. That's pretty good. <laughs> Tag team it. Maybe 9.5. We'll see. Anyway, we have some foul-tasting gold nuggets for you from the Dallas loss. What did the gaffers say about a match that featured another controversial PK decision and... Where does this loss stack up with other setbacks in NSC history? We'll bring you that insight. We always want to contextualize defeats. Never too high, never too low. It's kind of the way we, we operate here. Let's follow the facts and see where they lead. Plus, we'll look at a Salt Lake team that, that really seems to be the Real Dayal out in Salt Lake. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Real Salt Lake? No, thank, no? You. No, thank no? you. No, no, no. It's not that I didn't get it, Wes. <laughs> It always happens. I explain it. It just compounds the embarrassment because people are like, no, no, I got it. It was just that bad. Anyway, thank goodness you guys are weighing in and not just us. Busy, busy mailbag today. We had to buy a new mailbox, in fact, to fit all the envelopes you sent us or the two envelopes you sent us on Twitter. Uh, why are pressing teams so tough to break down for this Nashville SC team? That's a question we got. Could we see a different 11 this weekend uh, that will depend in part on the health of Nashville SC captain Dax McCarty? But even if he is good to go, and we hope he is, Mike Gary Smith choose to mix things up? And what's happening with MLS officiating? Yes, the referee criticism coming hot and heavy. We'll go outside in, where CCL has so far brought more happiness than misery. Can that continue? We're not used to that feeling. Plus, Charlotte scores its first goal since he wins on the road and other things that stood out to us last weekend. And the final whistle... We'll talk about the 440 Sports Football League, give you your updates there, plus another way to prove you're smarter than us. Quick plug, you can join the 440 Sports ESPN Tournament Challenge Group, all the podcasts on the 440 network. Fans are participating, friends and family, and, and even the hosts. So if you want to challenge Braden or Steve Cavendish or any of those folks to uh, to, to a little competitive bracketology, we're both college sports fans and we'll be, uh, we'll be involved in that as well. But now let's get to our early shout. Dallas, all kinds of space as Romney was caught out of position. It's Velasco tiptoeing, Pascadoy. Still on the ball, Velasco. The Argentine, the left-footed shot. Oh, it's a wonder goal. Dallas, meet your new designated player. Just like in Nashville's opener, the boys in gold took a scoreless contest deep into the night. Unlike the win in Seattle, it was Dallas that scored the winner. Then they attacked on another for good effect in that opener came from a Franco Franco Hara penalty kick in the 85th minute and then debut DP Alan Velasco came into the match late scampered through the Nashville defense and added an insurance goal two minutes later that's the goal you just heard courtesy of iHeartRadio. Tim we knew this road trip would probably include a stinker or two when you go away from home eight straight times to start the year that's bound to happen and this loss definitely
1: falls in that category. Yeah for, first of all Happy St Patrick's Day to my fellow Irishman Frank O'Hara. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for catching that yeah <laughs> uh, the, the, the fact that Dallas already looks quite a bit better than last year's Dallas team it does take the sting off a little bit, but there's no question that if you said Nashville's going to go one one and one in these first three games that that SC Dallas was was the team that you would say, okay that, that's not the loss right there. Um, I mean it doesn't necessarily you know mean that there's something fundamentally wrong. But it's a team that you look at and say, okay, here's what they did last year. They sold a twenty million dollar striker. You gotta be able to do something and be able to go in there and get a result. And um, you know, the fact that Nashville SC kind of got some bonus points in the first game of the of the road trip it takes that sting off quite a bit as well. But it's something that there'll there'll be a little bit of introspective thinking in from Gary Smith and his team.
0: Yeah, in my view, it was the most disappointing outing since New York Red Bulls last May. And by outing, I mean the process that led to the result. Obviously more disappointing to lose in the playoffs to Philadelphia. But in terms of the way it came about... In some ways, I think it almost resembled that Red Bulls loss um, last year, an actively pressing team, styming the Nashville attack, preventing effective combination play, and then guarding against what Nashville likes to do against teams like that, which is to launch the counterattack. They guarded against that pretty well. Um, Brett McNew, McNew weighed in on that, too. He, he asked and what we normally include in the mailbag, but it fits well here. He says, Why do we seem to struggle with high energy pressing teams? Red Bulls did it last year, gave us fits. Dallas over the weekend did the same. Is it personnel, Tim, or is
1: it system? I mean, the reason that teams run high-energy pressing systems is because it's very effective. Uh, the problem that prevents most teams from doing it is it is, first of all, it's risky, and second of all, it's really difficult to do. So um, when a, a really good pressing team just gets the better of you, sometimes you kind of tip your hat. But in this game specifically, I think the decision to stick with the exact same lineup for the third game in a row didn't really help Nashville, um, not necessarily because there was a specific weakness against that sort of press, but... Um, the midfield looked tired, and, and they were imprecise for too long, for, for too many stretches of this game. That's going to happen against those high energy teams. Um, You're running out guys who are 30 plus for the third week in a row against guys who are, you know, 20 years old for the most part. For that uh, FC Dallas team, it did feel like Gary Smith. I don't want to say got cocky, but he he got a little, maybe complacent with how much his guys were able to play back to back to back with a compressed 2020 and 2021 schedules. That he thought, you know we're getting a full week's rest between these games now that's nothing after what we've had to do the last two years and it backfired in my game preview i predicted a move back to the four-two-three-one to allow for a little bit of midfield rotation and, to, and maybe to get some more technical players on the pitch and particularly higher up the pitch um it's it's the rare occasion that i get to say it looks like i may have been right and gary smith <laughs> may have been wrong so i'll definitely take the opportunity anybody who's ever met me knows i'm going to take the opportunity to crow about that
0: RSL manager, Pablo Mastroini, came and consulted Nashville SC back in 2018 in USL. He's brought in just kind of for a week to be a guest consultant. Do you think that the staff might do that for you now that you, um, <laughs> you believe you tactically could have gotten this one right?
1: Yeah, yeah, a tactical analyst, Tim Sullivan, coming on in. Stick by your
0: phone just in case, you never know. <laughs> um, here is how the gaffer, Gary Smith, described his team's effort.
2: We were unable to navigate the early exchanges with any real quality or consistency the ball was coughed up and, and offered up to Dallas far too cheaply. And in, in the brief spells of possession that we did have, the, the, the final choice and the final quality craft in and around the edge of the box was, was nowhere near the sort of level that, that we've seen from our group. There are times that, that players cannot find their way in a game and there were too many of our guys that could not find their way. The pitches were too cloudy for him, a very youthful and energetic and, and high-octane Dallas group found it far too easy to to win the ball back. And when we bypassed that press, the, there was not enough quality in our front line to secure the ball and to ask him a new question.
0: So, Tim, a disappointed Gary Smith, uh, obviously, as disappointed with, I think, the, the lack of buildup, um, the lack of consistent combination, players, as he said, not getting the full picture than he was even with the result. I mean, he'll 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 take a one nothing defeat and be pretty dang unhappy about it. But if the signs are there that the team was cohesive, he'll deal with it. I don't think that was a, that was what happened this past uh, this past Saturday night. Is there anything though that should worry him moving forward, or was this just Exhibit A of how hard it
1: can be to win on the road in this league against a team that is coming after you? <laughs> I think the one thing that I that I hinted at a second ago is is going to be the important lesson learned. Maybe it's Nashville isn't going to get any younger uh, and there's going to have to be a little bit more rotation than you might think, even with that less compressed schedule. But like you mentioned, it is hard to win on the road in this league. It's not easy. And Nashville's got to do a lot more of that before there's any chance to get consistent home games. So even if it's hard to win on the road in this league, they're going to have to go out and, and find a way to do it or at least find a way to kind of minimize some of the losses. So simply dismissing that as a, as a factor would, would be foolish as well, I guess. There was controversy again. Uh, last week,
0: it was a PK not given to Nashville. This week, a PK given to Dallas at the expense of Nashville on the goal that elevated Dallas into the lead in the 85th minute. Jack Mayer and Paul Areola got tangled up in the box, and referee Rami Tushan, who had a pretty quick whistle, especially a quick yellow card as well, he whistled for a penalty, then he was called to the monitor to review his call, which when you see that happen, clearly the folks at the VAR office, in this case John Fremont, uh, the VAR official.
1: That's a, that's, a, that's a Nashville kind of boogeyman, too. He's He he's seemed to have a problem with Nashville in the past. But he was trying to help out. Yeah. He
0: was trying to say, hey, take a look at this again. And, and so often when you see the referee go to the monitor, it's because they're going to reverse it. You know, There's something mm-hmm. that's been seen to say, hey, this looks clear and obvious to us. What do you think? In a subjective situation like this though, I thought it was an awfully soft ruling. Um Rami Tushan thought it was a penalty, did not think his own error was clear and obvious.
1: What do you think? Do you agree? it was close enough that a var check isn't going to overturn it for me um this this is not a situation like the minnesota game where the on-field official and and the var were they were just not up to the standard of of refereeing in this league and there's no two ways about that this was one where where the call on the field was going to stand no matter what which obviously is kind of that that american football feeling where it's like okay this is one that maybe we feel like goes the other way but but there there isn't going to be that clear and obvious standard Ariola was going down before Mayor came close to him, let alone touched him. Um, but, you know, Mayer did ultimately when when Ariella kind of started leaning and slowed down, Mayer did run over him. So there wasn't going to be that clear and obvious standard. It's frustrating for Nashville more because they've had much more obvious fouls not go their way, including that penalty kick in Minnesota that you mentioned. Th- this one wasn't particularly egregious. And and, you know, by some standards, I think you could say it wasn't even necessarily wrong. But the fact that Nashville feels like it's it's been pretty aggrieved already over three weeks is, is something that definitely makes it hurt a little bit more
0: reminded me a little bit of the last jack mayor penalty the one at home against orlando last year where there Mm -hmm. was enough Mm -hmm. contact that the referee can say it and you can't really argue it yeah but it's like i just it was especially to be a decisive call i Mm -hmm. i didn't like it but i agree with you i think it was going to be really tough to overturn that because by definition it's a call you can make I just yeah, don't they yeah. Should have.
1: i mean the, the the contact in the box is there whether or not Ariola kind of you know does some of the dark arts to initiate that contact that's that's what makes him a two million dollars in gam sort of player i guess and by the way
0: Gary Smith loves him some Paul Ariola. I know he wasn't yeah. too happy in that moment. Uh, he said it this week in his public press conference. He doesn't too. love him
1: anymore. I'll say that. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not.
0: But he even said in that public presser, hey, if I had to put enough pennies together in my penny, piggy bank and gave them to Mike Jacobs, I would have loved for him to bring me Paul Ariola, but it wasn't meant to be. Two million uh, pennies is, is a lot. Uh, actually, that'd be two million times 100. 200 million pennies would be a lot of game. Good Good All math. the zero in the same way because it's fake money. But anyway, the Gold Nuggets tell the story of Nashville's first loss of the year. The context doesn't really necessarily help folks pull a whole lot better, at least initially. Um, Nashville didn't manage a shot in the second half of the loss. They didn't take a shot on target all evening, according to Opta. It's the first time that's ever happened to Nashville in MLS. I, I will note, you know, Honey Mukhtar had a try from distance, maybe 30 yards out, that uh, the keeper had to go down and deflect out. Statsbomb credited Honey with a shot on target. On that. But even then, one shot on target from from a long way out. Not exactly the biggest threat Hani's posed all year. So just five total shots for the boys in gold. That equals their season low last year. Was Dallas, Tim, that impenetrable? Or was this just an issue of poor chemistry among Nashville's attackers and just never really being able to, to get their rhythm?
1: porque no los dos it was, it was a little bit of both not both. i think yeah both gary smith and sean davis mentioned in the post game that the team was having trouble even getting into the final third so if that phase of the game isn't sharp and then once it gets there the attackers also aren't sharp you're just not going to have a lot of chances um it did it actually did seem like Nashville was in some dangerous positions um the avps the advanced platforms for the for the people who are scuffed listeners who know that that's what canada calls them they were in the positions that you want to be in because there's not a shot there you don't get any xg but it's 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 a valuable position nonetheless one thing that I'd actually like to see is, is Mukhtar and Leal especially, maybe some of the other players for this Nashville Seed team, but those two especially, take some speculative long-distance shots because we know Leal can hit them. Mm-hmm. Um, we presume Mukhtar can hit them from the run of play. We know he can hit them from free kicks for sure. Um, you know that That's an opportunity to score, but it's also an opportunity to make Dallas from the keeper to the back line and even those defensive midfielders just feel uncomfortable, and that probably makes life easier for you in other ways too.
0: Yeah, and, and if those... If that back line collapses around you then then you have the opportunity to chip the ball
1: through, get some good mm-hmm. vertical runs and and that you prevent situation. Dallas from dictating the terms on which they are able to defend because there's one more phase of the game that they suddenly have to defend that they weren't expecting. Which is what Nashville does so well defensively
0: so often. They mm-hmm. they're
1: fine with you having the ball, even
0: maybe in your in their own third. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as it's not in those dangerous positions. And and Nashville did okay until Dallas started doing that exactly that. The Cervania shot that resulted in the penalty mm-hmm. um, it, it was one of those long shots. Uh, they weren't afraid to try those as well. Uh, first time in Nashville's MLS era that Gary Smith had employed the same lineup in three straight matches. We touched on this a little bit earlier, but, but do you think Dallas took advantage of that? Did they see predictable patterns of play, in your opinion, that came from that that personnel outlay? Um, do you think that, that what we thought might be an advantage, that consistency, ended up being a
1: disadvantage for the boys in Gold? I think to the large extent, the personnel was the same, but you saw pretty different tactical approaches with similar formations and the same personnel through these first three games. Randall Layal was kind of on the point of a diamond in this game, whereas in previous games, Nashville had been a little bit more of a, a flat 4-4-2 or, or a bit of a 4-3-3 even. It's, um, you know, the the different shapes that Nashville gets into means that there's not too much that looking at film and seeing what the players do is going to kind of give you some secret to what they're able to do. So I, I, I do think that like, you know, there's no mystery what these guys are all about. Uh, FC Dallas people have seen CJ Sapong for a really long time. And now they've seen Hani Mukhtar and Randall Leal for a couple of years. So I don't know that there's anything necessarily there because the, the formations and, and kind of the tactical approaches were different for Nashville. I don't think it, um, you know, for the reasons that we've said before, keeping the personnel the same might not have been the best choice, but I don't think that was one of those things where suddenly they're figured out on film.
0: So we want to bring context and perspective to, to the wins and to the losses. Here's a little positive context, I suppose. Um, we can we can take it that way, at least. It was just the second win in 15 matches for Dallas, just the second oh, that's loss. Oh, pos- that's positive. I, I was West. getting to the... You gotta let me finish my thought, man. You know, I, I don't finish my sentences in eight words. You should know this by now. <laughs> And just a second, loss in 15 matches for Nashville. See, I was going for the symmetry of it. Uh, here's the good news. I'm getting to it now, Tim. Thanks for your patience. You're the boys in gold did not lose back-to-back matches last year. And in the matches following their four losses, they scored a combined 19 goals. So that means against Rail Salt Lake, of course, we can expect
1: a five-goal outburst, right? Yeah, that's correct. That's it. Uh, and the only, the only reason that that wouldn't happen you know, Brett, Brett Jacobs brought the nuclear codes, the Nashville nuclear codes with him when he joined Pablo Mastorini's staff from Nashville this offseason. You know, the science dictates, uh, you know, I'm a big numbers guy and. Um, the one thing that you can do with the numbers is guarantee, make guarantees for the next game. And uh, you know, when you look at what this RSL team is is walking into uh, against the Nashville team, that uh, it says here they they held Nashville scoreless last year oh, at, I... at Rio Tinto. Hmm, we'll have to we'll have to continue we'll have to continue <laughs> investigating and, and, and breaking through these stats. We'll look deeper into it. Nonetheless, we we
0: can see that Nashville has been a resilient group. Part of that has been. The opponents they faced in some of those bounce-back games, into miami mm-hmm. Cincinnati, Chicago Fire, etc. However, good news for the boys in gold that they don't seem to stay down very long. I mean, you've referenced some familiarity between these two staffs. More on that in just a second, but first let's learn a little bit about RSL on the field. They are unbeaten. They're second in the Western Conference table after shocking New England Saturday. Tim, did you see these these highlights? Did you watch any of this match in New I England? only
1: saw the highlights. Usually, as as you know, and I think probably most listeners do, I go, I will watch every single MLS game this season. I have not had the chance yet to go back and watch this entire game, but the highlights are nuts.
0: Oh, they're insane and beautiful. <laughs> and,
1: and they're matched only by the
0: craziness of what happened on the pitch new england went up 2-0 josie Altador scored his first goal as a rev in the 62nd minute and you're thinking new england at home in the snow 2-0 pack it in right Mm -hmm. rsl scored three times in the final 12 minutes plus stoppage they got the three points and uh carlos heel had a classic rant after the match we won't play it for (laughs) you here i couldn't figure out a way to pull it because it was on local tv it wasn't on the the typical server we use uh, let's just say that, that anybody who advocates for, um, for MLS to join the normal European schedule, I think maybe there are some who wouldn't want to play in American winters. Uh, I, I think that's fair to say.
1: I suspect based on the context that Carlos Hill is one of them.
0: I think he might be Go <laughs> listen to it. If you get a chance, uh, back to this RSL team though, they get the three, two win in new England that followed up a one-to-one over Seattle that had to be cathartic because Seattle had taken their best player this off season, Albert Rusnak maybe the most impressive back-to-back results for any team in the league this
1: year. And this is a team that's not, it's not going to win any awards for sexiness of style or, or even the way that it's roster is built, honestly, especially now that they no longer have Albert Rusnak, but they're able to go out and do a job. And that's something that hopefully Nashville SC fans can appreciate. Um, Whether this RSL team can do that consistently, um, you know, versus we're seeing good results on a small sample size, both New England and Seattle are still in CONCACAF Champions League. And, you know, as as per my suggestion over the past couple of weeks, should focus on CONCACAF Champions <laughs> League as long as they're in it. Yep. Um, we'll check back later in, in terms of how serious this RSL team is going to be from wire to wire. But when you're at looking at what they've done so far, you couldn't ask for a much better start.
0: Yeah, and even more impressive, they've done it without several starters. Their keeper, Mm -hmm. David Ochoa, hasn't played yet this year. He was injured in the last preseason match. Uh, Striker Rubio Rubin hasn't played. Fullback Aaron Herrera, who's a building block for them along the flank. Uh, Midfield catalyst, Amir Krylock, has missed the last two matches. So they've done it with a relatively thin roster. One guy who has been there on the touchline, Pablo Mastroeni. And that's a guy Gary Smith knows Probably better than he knows any manager in Major League Soccer. I think it's easily uh, something we can say with confidence. They're close friends after Pablo captained Gary's Colorado sides all four seasons. One MLS Cup as the captain was on the pitch when Gary won his championship. And and back in the day, we referenced earlier, back in 2018, he even visited Nashville SC during the USL era and coached up Nashville's players a little bit, offered kind of a different uh, pair of eyes to what Nashville was doing on the training ground. So, Tim, the obvious question then is what, familiar, what What advantage that familiarity might play toward either team in this contest, or does it kind of just cancel each other out?
1: I, th- I think a lot of the things that Master Rainey does are, are similar to the ones that Gary Smith does. Um, there's no secret sauce for, for either of these managers. You yeah. pretty much know what they're going to do. As as I mentioned, Gary might tinker with exactly what he's going to do in terms of how they want to build out, how they want to create their scoring chances. But you basically know what you're going to get. Um, what you're also going to get is, is a team that is well-drilled and what they're supposed to be doing in those situations. And that's where this Nashville SC team has been so successful in the past two years and in the, in the beginning of this season. And that's what I think Pablo Mascherini is going to bring to this RSL team. And I think that's what he's already started to bring to this RSL team. They are the sort of coaches that are, you know what we're doing, but we're going to do it so well that you can't stop us. Or or, to... or, you, or or we'll do a very good job stopping you. That's <laughs> the, the better way to go about Smith it. And, yep.
0: and that is what happened between these two teams last year. Uh, Pablo was not in that role yet, uh, mm-hmm. but Nashville went to Salt Lake early in the season. It was their first road match, fifth game of the year, and played to a scoreless draw. Fair to expect a similarly cagey match, do you think? Or do both sides have the the motivation, the drive? Or else Salt Lake has the momentum after scoring three in New England to to turn on the Jets a
1: little more? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's something that that when you look at both of these clubs and both of these managers might be saying, we can go out and be a little bit looser because we're kind of playing with house money with maybe an unexpected result already under our belts, um, each of them with a win over Seattle, which mm-hmm. might be considered unexpected for both of them. But at the same time, you know when Gary Smith is in the midst of a long road trip, he is going to do what it takes to not get beaten. That is his first priority is not getting beaten. And that's a very different thing in soccer where you can tie than going out and trying to get the win. And I think that, um, you know, the way Mascherini approaches it might say, okay, we know Gary's going to come out and play to not get beaten. Our team is going to go out and play to to not get beaten either. We're not going to let them counter on us. That's what we saw last year. I'll be under a different coach. And we'll see if if each of them kind of maybe tries to throw a curveball together and do something different. It's gonna be fun because these two have genuine affection and respect for each other and
0: I've had great things to say publicly about their experience with the other. It'll be very interesting to see that chess match between two managers who who know each other uh, extremely well. you mentioned earlier that there's not a lot of secret sauce with what either one of, what either one of those guys does. so um, speaking of sauce, buffalo wings, <laughs> your thoughts do you do you go extra hot
1: here? Do you go mild? you go for the, the barbecue curveball? what's your what's your route with wings? Well, if you if you have a, I cannot believe I didn't reference this when we were actually talking about Pablo Mastroeni. If you have an evildoers mustache, like a snidely whiplash looking mustache, you can't go too hot with the sauce because it'll Ooh. rub against your skin later. Because you're you're leaving some on there. You're definitely leaving some on there. So you got to go a little bit mild. What I really like with a, a wing is, is a barbecue. How about you, Wes? What's your favorite?
0: Type? Give me the hottest you got. And ML Rose, the sponsor of this podcast. Yes, you saw where this was going. Congratulations, folks. You were in the future. (laughs) We were real
1: subtle with it, right? Yep.
0: The segue was cool. It was like a seven. (laughs) It was a seven out of ten segue, I think. Um, Four times hot is the way I like to go. Unless I'm eating another finger food with it. Like I mentioned, I do the Mm wings-fries combo. Then I'll go regular hot. Regular hot wings because I don't I want I want the predictability of this. So I don't want to linger onto my other food, right? Like oh, even okay. that's
1: I, that's when I actually like it hotter because you're like oh yeah, I get a little bit on a, on my fry, I get a little bit on this and that.
0: Maybe it's the hot chicken lover in me because I don't I don't like <laughs> the bread to be super super hot. I like the, mm-hmm. the grease and that's about it. So maybe that's that's where I'm at. But their wings are great at ML Rose. You can you can get them a group of six, group of twelve. Um, again, such a go to. And, and I always used to get burgers there. I still do, um, all the time. But the wings are such a great counterpunch to that. That uh, yeah, I was just curious. I, I I'm a big wings guy, but do you do you like wings on their own, or if you're going to an ML Rose, are
1: you getting the fries with them, or a burger with them, or something else? I I usually like a wing complement, but you know, as I've said many times, the Carolina Sweets uh, waffle fries are like. Every time, basically, every time I go to ML Rose, those are going to be on my order. It's just a matter of how hungry I am in terms of whether I'm going to augment that with wings or augment that with maybe an entire burger. Or and the good news is one to is, seven beers.
0: Well, the, yeah, there you go. The good news is that ML, ML Rose is the kind of place that you want to stick around long enough to not just eat one course. Um, you know, I was, I was there the other night and I had the wings and I was like, "All right, no, nope, I'm not going home yet. There's a game on. There's a huge <laughs> beer list here. So much of it's local, like dozens of draft beers." yeah, I'll have another beer. I'll take my time here. I'll enjoy myself a little bit, and I'll get some fries. Uh, and it was a good night, and you all should have a good night at ML Rose as well. Again, the 8th Avenue location, one of four in town, and it's just a a three to four minute max drive from Nashville SE's new stadium. So what what we would recommend, speaking for Tim here, but I think this will be the official recommendation of the podcast this week is you've got a little over a month until Nashville SC kicks off for the first time at Geodis Park. So, Drive by the stadium, take a lap around it. Don't enter the illegal construction areas or anything. Just take a take a broad lap. Now do a couple do a couple laps around the speedway. <laughs> the speedway you can enter, just not the stadium <laughs> itself. That's fine. Uh, and then drive straight from there to ML Rose. Stop, have some fun, take your time, watch some NCAA tournament games, watch some MLS uh, soccer this weekend. Uh, go to the watch party. Shoot. Uh, but but go ahead and calculate your your rhythm here. Do your parking practice and then work your way on over uh, to ML Rose and check that out and, and get a feel for what that game day routine can look like because I think it's going to be an a awesome game day routine for a whole lot of people.
1: Yeah, we're looking forward to it um, for ourselves when when that stadium finally opens as well, but um, the fact that that ml Rose is, is putting on these these watch parties at 440 during the next five games before the park opens is going to be such a good opportunity for everybody to to kind of get acclimated and get familiar with it and, and we're looking forward to to uh, doing so ourselves as well thank you to ml Rose the title sponsor of the club
0: and country podcast all right moving into the mailbag. another one of those weeks where we said mailbag guys
1: and some weeks you we have to bump it and refresh it and remind you yeah. guys well I I was I was getting a haircut uh, people who, who are watching the video. Um, you know, just you and me are going to realize that. But I, my phone was just going nuts with these with these mailbag questions. I was like, well, Here we go. We're going to have a full show today." Mailbag questions after a loss are about as spicy and
0: saucy as those ML Rose wings, and you guys lived up to your <laughs> this guys a pro into the deal uh, something. Uh, so a, a, a two parter here. Katie and John Mueller asking something pretty similar. Actually, three parter here. Sarah's in on it too. So Katie says Gary usually keeps a lineup until there's a performance that warrants change. Did Saturday warrant a new lineup? This weekend, John Mueller, uh, kind of a, a you know corollary to that, has Gary become too predictable in his structure and substitutions. And Sarah, what do you all think about the lack of halftime substitutions? Tim, take that where you want.
1: Yeah, I think all three of you are onto something. Uh, specifically with something that that John and Sarah both mentioned, which is the substitutions. I'm not so worried about the predictability, but there's something to be said for a willingness to make situations when the situation on the ground changes. Um, Nashville wasn't operating at hundred percent by the time they made a substitution last week. And um, uh, unfortunately it may have cost them that game. And it may have cost them Dax McCarty. We're hoping it did not. Um, but, you know, as for whether we see lineup changes in the starting lineup going forward, you know, again, it depends on Dax's health. But I, I, like I said earlier, I was calling for for a slight change before the game in terms of a, a four two three one rather than, um, kind of this little hybrid formation four three three or or as it played out, uh, a four diamond two um on Saturday evening. You both want to get more attackers on the pitch and make sure key NSC players weren't burned out. So there are you know ways that you can adjust without kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, and I think that's what. Gary Smith would always prefer to do when he's making changes. And I think that's what makes the most sense. This was not a catastrophic performance, even though it feels with it from the, from the final scoreline, it was enough that there should be changes, but not enough that you need to kind of completely uh, alter what the philosophy is. I think
0: that's completely reasonable. And and we do send our best to Dax McCarty. He went down just before halftime with a, an injury. looked like it was to his knee. He continued after a brief break through halftime. And we won. I wondered if he was going to be taken out and I can only imagine the conversation was I'm the freaking captain. You're not pulling me out of this game. <laughs> I am sure that he was offered the opportunity and that it wasn't a situation where the, you know, the staff was pushing him out there. Uh, Nonetheless, he wasn't able to go. Within yeah. you know a couple minutes of of the second half starting, he was back on the pitch and and had to leave. So for that reason, I think you know Gary was probably looking just to maximize his flexibility in case Dax was able mm-hmm. to keep going and didn't want to make any any sudden moves. I would tend to agree though that you know even without Dax, we may see we may see some some changes here. And that's Jay Robinson's next question: If Dax were to miss extended time. How does that change the game plan for Nashville? How much would his absence impact the team if he uh, is gone? And so I'll ask you, Tim, if, if we might see a more aggressive look without Dax. Of course, what has characterized Nashville SC, at least from a personnel standpoint in these first three matches, is a quote-unquote flat midfield. Not flat in the way it's set up, but flat in terms of three guys that you would classify as more central or defensive midfielders playing together in McCarty, Godoy, and Davis. If Nashville goes to a four-attacker setup, uh, I could see a happy medium here where Maybe Godoy and Davis are beneath the front four, or, or rather, yeah, beneath the front four that featured Layal on one wing, Muehl on the other, Mukhtar at the 10, and Sapong up top. So that way you'd have your know, four attackers, but one of them is Muehl, who's a little more of a defensive-minded, track-back guy anyway. We know Layal has a good defensive mindset too. Or is a 3-4-3 the way to go, where you put Lovitz at left wing back, Miller or Alex on the right, Davis and Godoy in the middle with the usual front three. What do you think works best? You kind of referenced it above, but just yeah. go a little deeper into that
1: yeah like you said i i kind of you know hinted at it a little bit but nashville's been doing interesting things with dax that they really can't do without him there isn't another central midfielder on this team who's going to be able to drop back and play kind of that hybrid six role although it hasn't been quite as close to to half center back as it was when they played a similar situation last year but again regardless it doesn't matter if if you know, whatever the philosophy is, you cannot do the things without Dax that you can do with him. And that's why I think that four, two, three, one. you just referenced it. Godoy and Davis in a double pivot with a Noonga available off the bench, you need to have a sub defensive midfielder. and if if Dax is unable to go for any uh, appreciable amount of time, you can't run out three guys because then you only have one sub for all three of them, and that's something that you know you really can't handle. And like you mentioned, there's, that four two three one has obvious personnel fits. You could even, if you're going to be really aggressive, go with Loba instead of Mwil, if that's what something if that's something that that fans certainly want to see. But if that's <laughs> something that Gary wants to see in a given game, you have the opportunity to to tinker with the personnel a little bit without changing philosophies too. Yeah, um, you're gonna see all the
0: national SC content aggregators now that listen to our show saying Sullivan Loba to start play 90 minutes next eight <laughs> games. Well, I'm, a,
1: I think we've established I'm a team tactical analyst now. So that is true. <laughs> that is very true. Getting your phone call anytime. Have
0: you gotten your call yet? You're still waiting. No, my phone's buzzing. Hopefully that's hopefully that's Ian Air E&R on the, on the line right now. Probably just more mailbag questions. Honestly. <laughs> uh, David H., long question, but a good one. He says, I was under the impression that NSC entered this season with the ideal combo, depth, and health. He says, our first subs seem locked in, Mwil and Bunbury. Muel earns respect with his effort, but does not seem to have a position. He says, too many lapses to play back line and ineffective going forward, and Bunbury has been uninspiring to this viewer. David continues, was I wrong about depth, or have the performances of our first subs been as concerning to others do we have depth and more of a guys who can fill gaps in the middle of the season when team starters are tired and hurt way? Good question, David. Thank you for asking it. Um, Tim, I'll, I'll simplify it a bit and just frame it as follows. Can we make these conclusions yet or do Bunbury and wheel merit more time to make their respective adjustments? Bunbury to the team, wheel to right wing back and they've been subs. We've not seen them get significant action. Um, should we let them have a little more time before we judge them with any sort of substance, or are there conclusions that we can draw so far from their three appearances? I mean, we're, we're
1: the sample size podcast, right? So, so I think, I I think you the up first, for that yeah, the first the first point is that you just don't have enough information through three games, especially with both of them, as you just mentioned, only coming off the bench so far, we really don't know. Big picture. What you're going to get out of Bunbury is is depth and solidity off the bench. He's at a point in his career where he's just not going to be a flashy goal scorer. Could he provide a bit more in his bench appearances once he's a little bit more acclimated? Sure. I would say the hope by then is that Ake Loba is ready for a bigger piece of the pie in terms of playing time. So we'll see. As for the rest of the depth, I really don't think there's anything to worry about. My main worry is that some of the frontline players, McCarty, Sapong, Godoy, are not youthful guys. And, and while there are adequate pieces behind them, I'm putting in Alex Muil for Dax McCarty, as I kind of mentioned in the previous answer, is not going to give you the same things. Um, you know, you're going to get a step back in terms of quality and in terms of kind of maybe the variety of different tasks that guys can do when you have to replace one of your starters. But that's a concern for every team. So I don't sure. think there's too much to worry about. It's, it, you know, a potential injury to to any Nashville SC starter takes this team from extremely good, um, you know, despite the result in Dallas, I guess, extremely good to probably good enough to make the playoffs, even in a worst case scenario. So it, it is what it is. And that's that's the nature of a salary cap league, too.
0: It's the beauty of having MLS veterans in those reserve spots that you kind of know what you're going to get out of them to some some degree over the course of a long season, as opposed mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, maybe they disappoint you in one or two performances, because who doesn't? Who's, you know, th- these guys are human. Uh, Stooks, be hugging. Once again, sending he, he his do. warm embrace. Thank you, Stukes. Appreciate all the hugs. Uh, we're vaccinated, social distancing, uh, whatever. And shout out to Stukes. Congratulations
1: on getting married, bud. Hey, congratulations, Stukes. That's awesome. I think it was a few weeks ago, but we've forgotten to mention it oh. with each of his mailbag questions, and we got to remember that stuff. Stukes, you may hug the bride. <laughs> okay. All right. You get you get a good one, in every now and then, <laughs> every now and then, you must feel
0: like you're one of pretty good. Uh, Stukes asks. Actually, we're gonna give him a wedding present here. He asked a few questions. We're using all of them because they're good questions. He says, "While four points right now is exactly where I expected to be, this was not how I anticipated getting there." Hey, you and us both, Stukes. He said, I felt this to be the absolutely most winnable game on the schedule so far, but we end up with this result. Could it be that travel is affecting the team already? It's it, it's hard to separate, right? It's hard to parse. I think the result in this case was more a difficult stylistic matchup and a bad night than it was travel adding up in, in a third straight road match. This is about as many road matches as any MLS team is ever going to play consecutively. Um, so, I mean, you can't discount that that's a challenge and the grind is going to wear on this team. I think it would wear on any team, eight straight on the road. What I saw, Tim, Saturday night seemed to be a subpar response to an aggressive team more so than tired legs.
1: Uh, hard to, Again, hard to say, mm-hmm. but that was my observation. Yeah, I don't think the travel helps, <laughs> especially a team that's slightly on the older side. Um, I, when I get off of like a three-hour plane flight, I don't feel particularly limber. I just don't think it was the primary factor, certainly not at this early stage of the road trip. That said, if the Dallas game had been in Nissan Stadium or, or Geotas Park, would you have expected Nashville to kind of be overrun in the midfield in that manner? No. That's, no. How much of that is fatigue from a long road trip? How much of that is simply it being hard to win in other teams' parks and, in Major League Soccer? It's difficult to answer, but you know, again, it doesn't help. But the, the issues against Dallas were Nashville versus Dallas issues, not Nashville versus Toyota Field issues. That I think that's completely that that's where I'm at too. Um
0: you know who Stokes is not hugging, by the way? There's somebody that's Pro that referees. Not, pro refer, how'd you know that? How'd you know that was Lucky coming? guess. <laughs> He says, why does pro referees hate Nashville SC? Hani Mukhtar in particular said, slightly tongue-in-cheek, but for real, it seems kind of bad this year. And Aaron Kazdorf reaches out to us, I believe, for the first time, says, officiating is again awful league-wide. It's hard recruiting new fans, trying to explain what's a foul and penalty and what's not. Is MLS under contract with at pro referees? Yeah, he's tagging them. He's going in hot. If so, how long? Inexcusable calls, game to game, week to week, year to year from at pro referees. Something has to change. Is Howard Webb's phone buzz twice if he tags him twice in the same tweet? No, it's a great question, but it's definitely buzzing once. It is a strong buzz. Um, I will give an assist to Jay Robinson. What I love is these mailbags questions kind of create their own ecosystem of conversation sometimes on Twitter. And he responded to this. Jay Robinson did and says per football ref, which is my number one website for prep, by the way, for broadcasts, honey got 2.7 calls per 90 last year. This year it's 1.75 per 90. So the stats will tell us after three matches he's not getting as many calls. There are a million variables that can affect that. Is there an officiating issue and is Nashville SC the victim of
1: it so far this year? Really quickly, shout out to my homie Sample Size yet again. I wouldn't read too much into into three games worth of of how many fouls per ninety he's receiving, but. In a bigger picture, I wouldn't necessarily damn the organization either. Um, The official USSF and Canada soccer sanctioning body for officials uh, is not out here putting bad officials on the field because they want to, uh, if they are, if you know, if you accept that they are, which at, at times I think is kind of inarguable to be fair, but <laughs> yeah, it's not because they're ignoring talented officials who just can't get that assignment. It's because there aren't that many people interested in becoming officials. And, um, you know, the fact that we're answering mailbag questions about how bad they are might be one of those reasons. But, hey, um, you know, that said, I think I do think pro owes a little bit more transparency to the media and the public than it gives. When it blows a call, you kind of hear that, um, you know, it will slip in a Gary Smith press conference, for example, that that, you know, hey, they, they came back and said that was not correct. Um, you hear a coach every once in a while. I actually don't know that Gary has said it specifically, but you'll hear a coach mention that every once in a while. Uh, but pro has a responsibility to the media to answer questions about missed calls. We have a, a, so, uh, a process. I'm the president of North American soccer reporters. We have a process by which a single reporter from each match has the responsibility of asking officials about controversial calls in the game. And the answer is, is basically never satisfying. It is, you know, for example, if you're, if you're watching the, if you were asking, um, read the areola call on Saturday night. It would be uh, the officials, re- the the video assistant referee reviewed the call, called to the field official. The field official did not determine that the clear and obvious standard was met. And that's not, that's, you're, you're reading the rule book to me. You are not actually answering mm-hmm. the question. I don't, I do not think that that is an, an acceptable way to go about their business, honestly. Um, so it, it only, hurts them. It makes them look worse, honestly, because Mm -hmm. you don't get what you feel is an honest answer from them. And that's something that I think really does need to change.
0: I will say this. I'll give them credit in one respect. And it's something we saw during MLS's back. Um, We saw live. uh, We were able to hear the the reviews in Mm -hmm. real time as they were talking uh, to the VAR officials. We were told I was on a call with with Pro with Howard Webb before the year started this year a group call that they do to all the league broadcasters do for all the league broadcasters in and, and they said we want to continue doing that but we're in consultation with FIFA right now we're required to consult with them to get approval to do that on a full-time regular season basis he said we want that transparency in that respect. Now, is that just lip service or is that something they actually would like to do? I don't know, but their explanations are in, in many cases lacking. And uh, for instance, we have access to the electronic communication system um, where they will send out two broadcasts explanations of every time a goal has been checked or, or VAR has reviewed it. Uh, a la Tim's comments a minute ago, what we heard from this penalty kick was there was an on field review of the penalty kick and the decision was to award
1: the penalty kick to Dallas. Yeah, uh, you're aware. Nobody nobody wants the what. We all saw the what. You yep. know, you never you never get the why or you never get a a full and honest, transparent version of the why. And that's what and that that's what frustrates fans. It's what frustrates me as a journalist. I'm I feel like I might be sounding heated. I'm not that heated about it, but it is, I think, worth getting heated about. It's something that I you know, again, pro would look better. Their their individual officials would look better if there were an honest answer to the question. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, and Howard Webb said on on the call with his broadcast, you're not always going to agree with our calls. We're not always going to get it right. What we want is for broadcasters to have an understanding of the processes behind Mm -hmm. those calls. That's great. Clearly they want that, if he's saying that. Let's see it. It would be great to Mm -hmm. to be able to see that for sure. Uh, Moving on to Austin Beaver. It seems Hani is getting knocked down and being pressed with more physicality the past couple games. Maybe that's just my observation. But if you agree with that, he says... Can Nashville adjust anything we're doing tactically to get him the ball with space where he's so dangerous? Or how do you see us alleviating some
1: of that pressure on him? The big thing is, once again, sample size. Uh, Minnesota has been known for being a very physical team. And if they're able to get away with it, um, you know, we've already we've already shouted out Rami Tushant. So let's shout out Armando Villarreal as well. Um, He was letting Minnesota be physical with Hani Mukhtar. I think Mm -hmm. if some of the things that Hani perceived as fouls were called as such, it might have changed the way Minnesota was able to play. But to the to the bigger picture, how do you get the ball into his feet in space? I think a big part of it is is not necessarily about about how the teams are defending him, but about those midfield connections being a little bit smoother. The Dallas game was specifically just not a very good technical game for Nashville's midfield. It was not a very good technical game for Mukhtar himself either. I think he would be the first to admit that. He's always very honest with those situations. But it's a long season. We are down... three games of, of 34 and there are 31 games where you're probably going to see this guy have some really good moments and kind of forget about maybe some of these moments, especially the Minnesota game, but also this Dallas game. think, Oh, you know, you know, we were worrying over something that was, that was a, a three game sample size.
0: Sure. An early stat we could give you in the first two matches of the season, at least I haven't checked yet after three games, is that Hani Mukhtar was the most targeted player in Major League Soccer with progressive passes from his teammates. So clearly Nashville is seeking to find him. And if those fouls can get called and if they can, as, as you suggest, Austin, maybe find him in just a little better space. And so that's partially up to the other, the other players around the pitch to allocate themselves in a way that they're creating that space for Hani, And that's going to come with chemistry over time, you would expect or hope. Uh, Stooks' final question, while Loba not seeing the pitch until wait, well, well late into matches is a concern on its own... Gary Smith's comments after the game on Loba's late game creativity that led to a turnover may be equally as troublesome. Could it be that Gary sees Loba's willingness to get creative in the final third as irresponsible on the ball? Could that be what's holding his playing time back? I understand. I mean, to, to, the to, answer that, to answer the
1: very last question,
0: yes, that is part of what's holding his playing time back. <laughs> now let's dive into it a little deeper. <laughs> Indeed. I, I don't think Gary was criticizing. Loba's creativity, per se. I think he specifically criticized Loba in that moment for trying a low percentage, off balance shot instead of settling the ball and combining with teammates. The play that we're alluding to was about a one on three. Loba had in a little bit of space. He had room to work the ball forward, and instead he tried a flick with the foot that was Mm -hmm. well off. I think Gary encourages and praises creativity, but as always, as we know, he wants to see it executed within the framework of the team game. And I think that's the bigger reason we aren't seeing him. in The 11 right now is that creativity sometimes is from individual efforts and not from that combination of that chemistry with mm-hmm. others on the pitch.
1: Yeah. When, when Gary Smith criticizes a guy for making a turnover, um, I don't, I don't think that that's the situation to worry about Gary Smith, not liking creative players. I think it's a space uh, to accurately observe that Gary Smith doesn't like it when a guy makes a turnover for the most part, I don't, think there's an anti-creativity bias but Gary is a guy who wants to hold on to the ball in a situation like that. There's a risk reward kind of slider that uh, you have to get just right. you can't make a risky play that doesn't have the reward at the end of it, especially when the risk is is pretty great. there was a very little chance that Lobo was going to complete the play that he was trying to make there. If he doesn't, then I think it's it's a fair criticism at that point to a certain extent the, the the lobo discourse reminds me a little bit of the usl days when when fans were kind of saying why can't Repapa Mensa get on the field a little bit more he's a guy who go who just goes out and get goal gets goals well i'm he was not a particularly controlled player for nashville sc um you know it, without even getting into the fact that he was not a guy who necessarily had interest in getting into 90 minute shape with any sort of regularity he was a guy who was going to you know go swing away at the ball regardless of whether it was the right play to make at the time the creative play is often the right play, but it's not always the right play, and I think that's more what Smith is worried about. And Rob well, Poppenza
0: endeared himself to supporters nonetheless with some late-game heroics. Nashville would love to see that for Maki Loba. I'm sure Kerry Smith and the staff would as well. Let's take things outside in. Charlotte trying to equalize. Bender approaches on the left-side corner. Into the area, headed in. Ah! Charlotte FC is off the mark. That was their first ever goal is called by Will Palaszczuk of WFNZ Charlotte. Great call by those guys. They do an outstanding job, but they've not had a win to call yet. Atlanta scored in stoppage time to make sure that Charlotte stayed on zero points through three
1: matches. Now, I'll definitely give Charlotte that they looked a lot better through three games than I think anybody expected. But uh, looking a lot better um, and it's not winning right <laughs> it's it's not even drawing they've lost all three of them so they don't look particularly close to results despite the fact that it took atlanta a stoppage time winner there's going to be some worry for Charlotte before they turn it around. The thing is, when they do turn it around, maybe it could get pretty solid and they could be an okay team. We'll see. You
0: know, a lot of Nashville SC supporters rooting for Daniel Rios to be the guy who scores the first home goal for Charlotte and helps uh, help Charlotte grow into their identity in their first year. Other interesting results last weekend. Cincinnati wins on the road in Orlando. All of the words in that sentence were surprising to me. Uh, it's their ninth road win in three Certainly plus in that order. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That order is—it's. Uh, I think you could have made some money if you if you bet that. Um, it's their ninth road win in three plus seasons in MLS. So for perspective, by comparison, Nashville also has nine in their history, and of course, one fewer season of action. But Cincy, Brandon Vasquez, the legendary former boy in gold for five minutes, mm-hmm. uh, lit it up, and I mean, good for Cincy
1: after a pretty dismal first two games. Yeah, this is a team that is, is still not going to be very good. I, it's like, like we're kind of saying, don't worry about Nashville SC with with a dropped game at FC Dallas. I think we could say, don't worry about FC Cincinnati with a win <laughs> over Orlando. Uh, that you know, a blind squirrel finds a nut. I guess every once in a while, but they're not going to be quite the incompetent team that they were over the first three years of their existence. They kind of have some smart people in place now, um, especially Pat Noonan is a guy who I think is is maybe not going to go out and win a ton of games, but they're going to look a lot less disheveled i think
0: and bringing in good either established or promising domestic players and not trying mm-hmm. to to shoot for the moon or bring up usl guys in that first year uh, seattle earned its uh, first points of the year the 3-2 comeback win at home against la galaxy another noteworthy game really exciting as la went
1: up early in that one tim what was your favorite match of the weekend Yeah, it was that Seattle game. I was was watching it in my bedroom folding laundry. (laughs) It was a very exciting time. But um, that mid-afternoon slot can be a super fun one. And that game really lived up to its billing. I I know LA Galaxy always gets billing and then they slump hard and miss the playoffs. But um, at least early in the year, they feel like a superpower. And Seattle always feels like a superpower. And they generally live up to that. If you have more games like that, If you you can put that product on national television, MLS is going to win the hearts and minds of the public. And that's obviously something that they've not always had an easy time doing. And and you've got to get your best teams on national television. And that was, at least at this phase of the season, we'll see how the galaxy turns out. But at least at this phase of the season, exactly what you got. Can the hearts and minds of MLS supporters finally
0: warm up to CCL? (laughs) The stone cold heartbreak every year. Maybe things are different this year he said, in his abusive relationship with sports fandom. From CCL misery to CCL history, though, who knows? All four MLS teams are within shouting distance of the semis playing this week. you got NYCFC up 3-1, heading down to Guatemala to take on Comunicaciones. New England and Seattle both just punked Mexican teams. 3-0 over Pumas and León, respectively, Montreal lost in, at Azteca, but only 1-0. I think they probably would have taken a 1-0 loss at Azteca. Yeah, it's not a lot of people losing
1: at Azteca, right? Yeah,
0: I'd say so. Uh, and they have the home, a home match now to close off against Cruz Azul. Tim, I think we'd agree that Montreal still would be the underdog. It's mm-hmm. going to be a tough mm-hmm. a tough lift against Cruz Azul. Of the other three, do you think New England and Seattle are going to give up? those 3-0 leads on the road. Do you think NYC falls to Comunicaciones? Are any of them going to break our hearts? Or are
1: we looking at three MLS semifinalists? West the free space in CCL bingo. Is disappointment As it's say. going, it's, it's going to have one of these teams is, is going to choke up their lead and, and not make it into the semis. Uh, it's going to be a one to seven beers of sports sadness <laughs> <laughs> situation, but even if two of them close the deal, it's, it's better than a typical CCL year. I would say, I know these are not the best teams in Mexico this season because they qualified through previous seasons and then are much worse so far this year. But, um, the expectation at this point would be at least two teams, um, I think most people's expectation is probably three. I am not willing to do that to myself at this point, but <laughs> I, I do think it's there's a really good chance that um, one of these teams advances to the final to lose to uh, probably Cruz Azul, but hey, we'll see. <laughs> I think that's where this goes, and I, I'll tell yeah. you what I'll do. A, I'll do an ML
0: Rose beer bet for you. I think all three of the teams that are ahead right now will make it through to the semis. I, are you on? You're saying you're not quite ready to go, that, go there? I'll go there.
1: I mean, I, I, think, it's, I think it's the mo- the most likely outcome. I just don't want to set myself up for that heartbreak. Well, then we'll both celebrate
0: with beers if it does happen. I we won to seven happy beers. Yes, but then the, the ultimate free space being disappointment will be when, as you mentioned, Cruz Azul advances, and then you have three semifinalists, but the one team to go through yeah. to Club World Cup is, of course, Cruz Azul. That seems like actually a pretty likely scenario now that I think about <laughs> it. Uh, what is also likely is that I will continue to lead you in the 440 Sports Football League for another week as we'll look at our fantasy updates. Things are starting to spread out just a little bit. I'm in ninth place, though, after I made the good decision at the last minute to captain Lucas Zelrayon instead of Carlos Vela. Even though Vela was going to Miami, I thought, yeah, injury issues, whatever, like, we'll do Zelrayon. Scored, had an assist against Toronto. You're in 24th. You've dropped
1: yeah. a little bit, but... I had Joseph as my Toronto. captain. I thought that was a pretty good call against against charlotte in mercedes-benz stadium this didn't happen for me this week it could be worse you
0: could be Braden. (laughs) he's in the land of people who've not checked their teams he's in 43rd of the 54 i believe it is competitors um he's taken a a very obvious direction with his team he's going to start three nashville players every week usually the same three nashville players usually the same 11 players actually Um, and alistair johnston so he's doing kind of the he's get,
1: three and a half boys and girls. Look, he's got to go, go out and he's got to go get Jaleel Anibaba. He's got to go out <laughs> and get Don Baji. Jimmy Do Madronda. Go, yeah, you can run a whole lineup of, of current and former uh, Nashville SC players. Liam Doyle maybe even. He's playing for
0: Galaxy 2 right now. Maybe he gets promoted at some point this year. You can put Liam Doyle in there. Oh, who knows? Brandon Vasquez actually would work out pretty well if you count him as a former player. He had Joe Willis, Walker, Hani Mukhtar, and Alster Johnson in his lineup. Didn't go so great for him this week, but that lineup, if he keeps it, is going to do pretty well most weeks, I would say. Uh, so we will see what happens there. Also, Braden and the 440 sports team started a group for um, ESPN tournament challenge. If you are into college basketball, as we are, you can join that as well. And uh, another way you can compete with us and try to show us up. It's a possibility Tennessee and Michigan play in the second round of the tourney, by the way, that there's our beer bed at ML Rose, is for the, <laughs> the winner of that, or the loser to drown their sorrows with, with several.
1: Well, uh, well, the one, the one positive is that the second place finisher in the tourney bracket gets an ML Rose gift card. So maybe I could, I can, uh, I, I I will if I if Michigan beats Tennessee, um, inshallah they both make it to that game. But if Michigan beats Tennessee, the beers are still on me, Wes. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You're very confident in your ability in this journey this <laughs> challenge bracket. I'm not, oh, I like how you're not returning favor. No, Tennessee beats Michigan. You're still buying me beers, but I just
0: don't expect Tennessee to win. It's <laughs> talking about the free space being disappointment. It's not. It's not happening. Yeah, that, that's balls, baby. That's it. We won this tournament, that's all the winning we get. We hadn't done that since '79. We're good for 40 years. Final whistle. Content recommendations. Um Mine. I actually mentioned it earlier. The content you should take in in the next couple of weeks is. Geodis park don't go in don't go in the construction entrance don't do a lap around the speedway without permission of the speedway but drive around the the circumference of the stadium check it out see the beauty from the outside was able to go in this past week it is amazing it is going to be a palace couple things that struck me number one uh thankfully nothing uh construction related because i had a hard hat on but uh get it struck me no once again you got it and yeah. I just didn't like it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, the concourses. incredibly wide. These are going to be twice as wide as you might expect. So for the supporters marching in, for getting in line for a beer, like you're gonna have you're gonna have lots of space. Familiarize yourself with the, with the area, and again, our recommendation would be park at ML Rose, walk over from there, Ride share if you don't feel like walking, but it's not a long walk. Uh, so my content recommendation is that you will be content once you are inside that stadium. You should drive by, check it out, and then go to M.L. Rose. My
1: content re- recommendation, as per my tradition, is not actually content, um, but it is it is kicking at 615. We've talked about this in the past. I think yeah. it's probably been my non-content content recommendation at times in the past as well. Uh, it's a local charity run by our good friend Valer Shabila who uh, their goal is to help kids that cannot otherwise afford soccer, many of them refugees in the Nashville area, play the game. If you go to K- ki615.org, they have ways for you to donate. They have ways for you to volunteer for their organization. I know they're always looking for coaches at this stage of the season. Um, so go check that out. Anything you, that you can do to help. You know, we talk about how important not just Nashville SC, but soccer in this city is to us. And this there's, there is no more effective way to help soccer be a tool for good than to help with kicking at 615.
0: Yeah, we, we love talking results and, and all that stuff and, and personnel and mailbag questions. But the reason to get involved in this community is for the community itself, for the community of Nashville and the individual people within it. Valera is one of the best people I know. He's a tremendous guy doing awesome work. I wholeheartedly second that recommendation yeah tim you're up there too you're raising (laughs) your hand you wanted some love there stooks be hugging he'll give you an embrace even if i won't thanks for listening thanks to ml rose for the sponsorship again drop by watch parties Saturday night, 8.30 kickoff, so get there early, go ahead and have your dinner, get that in, get your your cheering fuel in, uh, in liquid and solid form, and get ready for 8.30 p.m. kickoff between Nashville and RSL at ML Rose. Thanks to Moon Taxi for the music, thanks to iHeartRadio for the highlights. Guys, hop on and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. A few of you have done so here lately, very few of them have been one star, so thank you for that, and uh, we appreciate you listening, but also make sure you're recommending this to your friends. Subscribe, and that helps other people find this podcast as the soccer community is really you know enjoying a crescendo leading up to may 1st it's growing our numbers are growing we want that to be reflected in the ratings as well so that more soccer fans can find us and be part of this discussion thanks to the 440 sports network for giving us microphones tim have a great week best of health and worst of luck to michigan in the NCAA tournament and we'll talk to you soon